Welcome to the interview series, the first ever podcast by ICMP, the Institute of Contemporary Music Performance here in London. I'm Lara, your host, and I'm back with another episode focusing on the people that made and continue to make ICMP a pioneer when it comes to music higher education in the UK, our tutors. My guest this time was Dustin Borland, a producer, rapper, and educator who joined the ICMP teaching faculty in 2020. Justin, aka Merlin, his artist name, joined the group Bomb the Bass at the age of 16, and a year later was signed to American label Sire Records, known for also signing the likes of Madonna and Ice-T. With such great success also came something else. Justin ended up in prison for three months. While doing his time, Justin realized something that would change his life completely. He promised himself not to ever end back there again and also to commit to helping other young people facing a similar experience to never go back to prison again and to show them a different path through music. Justin has since based his whole life and career on this, working with at-risk youth and ex-offenders, while also continuing to develop his creative talent, collecting many top 10 successes in the UK. We talked a lot about this and also about learning and the importance of higher education. As a mature student himself, getting a law degree only a few years back, Justin is a strong advocate of never stop learning and keep moving forward. I found this conversation very powerful and inspirational, and I really hope you will too. Don't forget to share the episode on social media if you like it and tag us if you do so at ICMP London. Thanks for being on the on the podcast. It's uh, it's great to have you here. We actually never met because you uh, you recently joined ICMP. I think it was only a year or so. Right, I've been with ICP, ICMP for a year now. Yep. Yeah. So of course, due to the uh, you know current scenario, we're we're not really able to meet. So it's nice to see you at least on yes. on a call on a video call. So I'd like to start with a with a first question to sort of like break the ice about your very first musical memory. I think it's nice to uh, get a sense of what was your musical upbringing. Yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. Well, I was brought up um, in a London council estate and I lived with um, my um, uncle. His name is Smiley Culture. He's now passed, but he was responsible for fusing Jamaican and Cockney and really um, pioneered um, UK grime, really. He was the, the original, the platform for which a number of others like Stormzy's and so on have built their empires upon. So much respect goes out to Uncle Smiley. But um, my, my first profound experience of really uh, realizing consciously how much we wanted to um, get into music and perform and write was um, we were brought up in a Christian household. So we went to church on Saturdays, funnily enough. There was a, a music store across the road in a Manor Park where the church was. And it had all these synthesizers and stuff. So every week, um, religiously, excuse the pun, me and my brother would go over and look in the windows and we'd say, that one was mine. And, and there were always 1,000 something and 2,000 and something on the prices. Some of them were organs and some of them were synths. And um, we loved the music in church as well. We had a great band. So it was our favorite bit of the church was the singing and the band and the simps and all that. They had like a proper uh, group. They actually released records. They were brilliant. So me and my brother made a kind of a pact that when we were older, we would have our own studios um, when we were about nine or 10. And um, both of us uh, had our own studios within six years. 
uh, formidable studios and were also writing with um, high profile artists and really out there in the industry. So yeah, about nine, we really kind of cemented our understanding that that's what we wanted to do. And we were always banging on tables at dinner and getting told off and always kind of interacting musically. It was just in us. So yeah, that was my first conscious memory. And me and my brother kind of made a pact that when we were older, we'd have our own stuff and our own equipment. We didn't know how, quite from quite poor family, but we certainly did it. And then some, so yeah, that was my first memory. Which is amazing. And then of course you went on to starting your music career right after. Maybe you were not, you know, consciously doing that, but you actually did. And when yes. you were like 17, you were signed. How how did it happen? How was it for you? Like you were you were very young. Right. Well, it started as a progression from um from that. What happened is we had a um we had a a van that used to come into our estates that just had loads of books. And it was kind of like to deprive children who couldn't get at books. So I read religiously from about eight to 13 or 14. I just read and read, expanded my vocabulary no end. And I was born in the era of hip hop, which was absolutely brilliant. I wasn't very good at dancing. I wanted to be the best in anything. I'm not through arrogance. I just wanted to compete at a, at a decent level. I wasn't very good. All my friends were better, but the rap stuff and the lyrical side, especially after being inspired by my uncle Smiley, who had by then charted and gone top 10, first British reggae artist to do that and stuff. So I, I had um, influence. So um, yeah, I just started reading and then I turned those into raps. I, I, I gave myself a name, Merlin, the Wizard of Rhyme. And um, that was my uh, artist name. And I really engaged in this rap thing really heavily. Um, quite using American accent at the time, actually, fused with a little bit of English, but we kind of copied. But I got really good at it. And um, they actually flew over from America uh, to sign me. Uh, but this was after winning the British Rap Championship when I was 14 or 15. And um, really kind of punching above my weight. I had a very heavy voice, very baritone voice. My voice broke quite early. So I was quite known for this really strong uh, voice and coupled with quite um, quite tight lyrics. So um, we just went around and started working with different um, artists. And then um, I won this competition and the Cookie Crew, who were a girl rap crew at the time, was signed to Rhythm King. And um, somehow they heard of me and invited me down and the rest was history. I was signed to Rhythm King almost immediately. And I started working with a lot of the, the artists and the groups on the label. So from the base, I joined their group as the rapper. So by 15, 16, I was touring Japan with Bomb the Base, and Bomb the Base had about eight or nine hits. Uh, went straight in with Beat This, number one, and, and loads of stuff, Mega Blast rap, and all this, I'm featuring and all of this stuff. So I'm understanding and learning. I'd done a track with the Beatmasters, the first uh, hip house track called Who's in a House, which went to number three. Um, and I wrote that on the way down to the studio. I didn't take it very seriously. And it went on to be one of my biggest hits. Interestingly, um, I was caught in between arrogation into music and also my friends and uh, outside in the estates and that. So I got myself into a little bit of trouble um, when I was 16 and I ended up getting sent to prison for three months, just as my song had charted at number 28 in the charts just came in, highest new entry or something like that. And I don't know what my uncle Smiley coach had said to the governor, but they let me out to do Top of the Pops for one day and I had to return. They let me out at like nine and I had to be back for seven. So I went out and done Top of the Pops and I remember my uncle putting all his gold on me and 
took me to Frank and got me all these new clothes. And it was like a Cinderella story for the day because I remember taking it off and having to jump back into my, I had about two months left, but I was on cloud nine. It's just like I floated through that. And I remember the whole of the, um, the prison watching it and looking at me and watching it and looking at me and thinking, wow, how did that happen? So that was, once I got out, I made certain uh, promises to myself and I really threw myself into um, my music. And um, after that, we just had a string of hits and started doing loads of different stuff in different places. And then Sire Records, after about maybe five or six top tens or top twenties in the UK, the Sire Records had Madonna and a load of others then, but Madonna at that time was massive. So say no more, they're part of WEA. Next thing I know, I've been signed in LA to Burbank, six figure deal. Um, I'm rubbing shoulders with Fresh Prince, Benny Medina, who signed him to do his show, and uh, meeting all these great um, names and artists. Ice T now does all these, um, he's actor now, but he took me shopping in LA to go and get stuff, and it was just brilliant. It was just so surreal. So um, that's really how it all started, and it all kind of developed from there and blossomed. I started writing more, getting more into production writing with other artists but I'll freeze there in case just in case you want to take me somewhere else <laughs> um wow wow I mean that there's a lot that I have quite a lot of things I would like to ask you the first thing yeah. that um came to mind was the contrast between top of the pops and going back to prison of course yeah. you were very young how did you manage to stay sane like what was I'm guessing music had a huge role in your life because of course it seems to me it was something that led you onto a better path for yourself yeah, yes yes so how was it while you were there i know it was only three months but it's 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 still three months it's quite a lot how did you how are you coping with it um well i was in a slightly different uh, situation to a lot of my uh, counterparts the inmates the residents because I had a future when I got outside. <laughs> I had a massive future. I got loads of letters. I was very much uh, celebritized inside the prison. And um, there was a yearning every day, you're counting off the days, but you knew those days as soon as you got out, what was gonna be happening and that the world was your oyster. So I began to appreciate my circumstance and my position, my blessings. And I also realized that a lot of my friends had already made up their mind that they'd be returning it was really disconcerting when you'd hear a young man say, I'd see you next year. They had familiarized themselves with, with the environment to such an extent they, they expected to return at some point, some point relatively soon. And many of them had been there two or three times. That was the last time, thank God, I've ever been. And I just had to go once to know this is not for me and I would do anything within my power to ensure that I don't return. Um, but of course, social norms are different. And sometimes if that's all you know and that's who you know around you, that's what some of these people did. So I managed to get through because I had a different outlook, optimistic perspective. And I had a track that when I went out to do Top of the Pops, it was 28. When I came back uh, the week after, it was number three highest climber and if I'd have been out would have definitely been a number one but we still got still sold so many records and um you know I, I'd achieved something that I'd thought about it was surreal I, I was doing it in real time so really it was a matter of um understanding the the opportunities that I have and grasping them 
And it was um, not too long after you were dreaming of it. So it must have been, yeah, wow, okay. So then, of course, you um, go to LA, meet a lot of your idols, which is, again, you're like a teenager meeting your idols and working with them and going shopping with them. And it's, it's, yes. it's amazing. You then had quite a lot of hits. So things kept going really well for you in terms of yeah. like music career. What would you say was your, your highlight, if there's one? And, um, you know, what were the things that you sort of like learned along the way? Being okay. such a young artist and, you know, creative person with so much success. Because, I mean, it's, I think it's also hard to like just stay low and stay humble. And it's, it's a tricky one because you're young and you think you can very, do whatever you want, very right? Tricky. Very tricky. So if you, um, if you supplement that thought with um, being one of the youngest persons to buy themselves an SL Mercedes, the Mercedes Coupe, living that life that you see over there right here in London. And I think one of my Achilles heels was the social norms and the environments that I brought up in, I was brought up in. When one had any, because we came from quite poor backgrounds, as soon as we amassed or procured any kind of wealth, we felt that we had to show it off to the world. Um, this was really a time for investment, to invest the funds that I'd earned and invest in myself and my skills and refine. And instead of really doing that, you're out and about socializing really more than you should be in the studio and kind of living um, just really out there, more, far more clubbing and all of that than, than really refining your profession. So I do my, my work and music, but it was really kind of, it was split between my social life and my friends. I wasn't totally engaged in music until I got a little bit older. And I had some problems with my label in America, funnily enough, uh, without going too deep into it. There was some strange thing happening in LA and I, I didn't feel comfortable with some of the things that I was introduced to or saw. I actually turned down my second, I had two albums firm, which is just really, it means, and with these two albums was locked in publishing locks and my first publishing was a 150 the second was 245 just on signing and then the recording deal most of that went the first one went to Rhythm King because they sold me to so they took a lot but the second one basically had about half a million to collect and um, a few things happened over there that I really didn't like and I said I don't want to be with you guys no more I prefer to leave with my dignity I don't want to sign it my my, my lawyer said are you sure you know what you're doing? You could sign it and it, not, it, was, it was a mistake looking back because it, it was more, but I left with peace of mind, peace of heart. And I went into production. I came back and just done loads of production and cut out that rap side, really. By this time, I'd mentored quite a few young producers that had gone on now, gone on to be great writers. I was very good with production and writing. Uh, so Wayne Hector went on to write Flying Without Wings for Westlife Songwriter of the Year, Wookie, very big and in the house and garage, went to work with Soul to Soul. And I had these great producers around me anyway. Cole McIntosh, Louis Enz, I was working with regularly. Nelly Hooper, again, Soul to Soul, the Pache Mode, all these. Jazzy B, Tim Simonon, Bumba, all these fantastic producers I was learning from. So I started doing a lot of work and production and just writing. I got signed to Sony Music Publishing and just doing loads of writing for artists. So it kept the money coming in but I didn't do anything by way of um, artistry for some time after that. Uh, by way of highlights, there are many, it depends what, what we're looking at. I think maybe when I started a record label, which is a little bit later because it was more personal and we had a top 20 with that. 
that was quite a highlight because we'd done it all ourselves. But I mean, there were many points that I, I, I could reference that I feel that were really quite, a, we've achieved something or you'd be proud of. I think the main thing was really um, working for myself, navigating my own career and um, having a setup and a mechanism where I could look after and support those around me. I was always into impacting the lives of others way before I got into teaching. So I was kind of doing micromanaging and mentoring for a lot of the young people around me and using music as a medium to engage them and try and get them off the road or some of their other carnal pursuits, try to get them on the road to music and stuff. So um, I think really the highlight is really understanding what music meant to me and how powerful it could be as a medium to impact the lives of others as well. Not just to, for them to say how great they think your music is, but to also put them maybe on a pathway to actually better themselves. Yes, as a matter of fact, I was going to ask you about your experience in, you know, developing and supporting a huge variety of initiatives, working with ex-offenders and, and youth at risk and just young people, as you were saying, that grow up on the road and, and you know, your um, commitment to trying and um, taking them away from the road and, and showing them a different path and using music to do so. Yes. How did you get into this? Why was it important for you to uh, to be involved in such things? Yeah, thanks for that. What I initially done, um, I used to rent out my studio. Well, not even rent. I just have young people in the community come up and use my studio for their work. And in return, I'd say, you have to stay out of trouble. You have to keep us. So I was kind of mentored. This is like, like late 90s. Um, and, and I was in Croydon then. So I do that a lot, a lot, a lot. Then in 2000, my friend from school, had a position at Greenwich Community College at BTEC Music Technology uh, teaching. And it always fascinated, because my mum's a teacher. So it always fascinated me teaching. I always had a pulling to teaching, but I didn't have the qualifications. But by then I had some experience, significant amount. Anyway, I managed to get the job and it was so fantastic. I've done that for about four years. And teaching and inspiring. And I noticed that the, the learners would reach out to me more than an average teacher you know, for well-being support and just little things. And I found myself being a kind of relatable role model because much of that which they'd been through, I could relate to firsthand. So what I started to do after that, um, I, I joined an, an organisation doing peripatetic teaching, just travelling around youth centres and different places, getting a feel for it. And then I said, this is something I really want to do. So I ended up setting up my own organization and um, also working privately at different places. So for instance, I worked at Feltham, Feltham Young Offenders, and I was in Feltham when they let me out to do Top of the Pops. And I worked with some of the most challenging young people, 16 to 18 year olds, the ones that you heard about on the news and some of these horrific crimes that have happened. Many of these I taught. The engagement rate was unprecedented in Feltham. There wasn't one young person who came in there that didn't engage in their work. The best they had so far was 58.5. 100% finished their work. I redesigned the curriculum. I introduced two new courses I'd done with OCM. They're now ESFA recognized. Urban music production and establishing a career in the music industry. Because I noticed that the courses were outdated and a lot of the young people found it hard to engage. So what I wanted to do was build a, 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 some kind of a course that they could engage in and get their teeth into, but was also recognized as an academic qualification. So now that's their level ones and twos. And um, yeah, I worked in these kind of establishments, crews and prisons, and really started impacting really in, in like high level, not just academically. I was always, it begins with self, really, this whole journey. I mean, you can be, you can have wisdom, you can have it, you can be intelligent, know things, but you can also use that 
when you're wise, you're implementing that knowledge to the betterment of self and community. So a little bit of wisdom into Melanchthon, what you do when you get things and how you might want to build yourself as a character. And always referring to my life story as, as, as a guide and really just kind of standing on this, the mistakes of your past do not necessarily have to define your future. That which you may have done in the mistakes right, right now and then, you can always, fingers crossed, build a better life. There are some of these in, in, in Felton that such were their mistakes, they're not going to be able to rectify anything for 15, 20, 25 years. I wasn't in that, and I feel that I was blessed uh, to be in a number that had a chance to reassess where they wanted to go and how they wanted to do it. But I've always been, I've never thought individually, I've always thought, not even just after my, my immediate family, I've kind of seen the whole world as a family. It sounds a bit cheesy, but certainly community, it's never been racial. It's just like people like me in, in similar situations. How can I impact them? Um, then I know I'm doing exactly what I want to do while I'm also doing my own stuff in music. So um, I set up my CIC, Sounds of Urban London Media, and we started doing a number of different outreach initiatives in different places from Grenfell, producing that album with the, with the um, victims of Grenfell, doing that kind of stuff, a lot of well-being and stuff. Just setting up, going into prisons. I've got an, um, an initiative called Licensed Internship for Ex-Offenders Life, and we go in three months before release and six months after it's a recidivism prevention. So I try to stop these young people going back into prison, as I mentioned earlier, try to break that cycle. And it was so impactful that all eight, and these were high risk that came in, they'd been in free. None of them reoffended up to now, I don't think they have. But it was so impactful now that, and then COVID hit, of course, but now it's, it's a system, we're just about to implement it again. So it's really impacting lives for the better through music as a medium. And that's what I've tried to do. I'm, I'm now refining, I'm learning a lot more about um, education, teaching, rehabilitation, and all that stuff. I've got a bigger team, but it's always built on, I'm trying to um, build and impact the lives of young people in challenging environments, at-risk youth in particular, and using music as a medium to get them through into higher education and obviously a chance of really engaging in life and being a better person. And music is such a powerful um, yeah, medium, as you were saying. It's just uh, it, to think that that's the... The consistent element across all your experiences is just so powerful to hear. It's amazing. And what would you say is sort of like the best and greatest lesson that you've learned uh, with like working with young people? How much you can learn from them. We're always as human beings, unless we get arrogant and beyond our, our station, we always learn. Life is an eternal process of learning, but there's so much that they have to offer not just by life experiences, but also by skill sets and stuff, different approaches to things. I mean, as a teacher, I've learned that it's more important to listen than, than, than the talking, because by listening, you get a greater understanding of their needs and how much you might better support. And um, a lot of teachers just set their curriculum, their program according to what it is, but you must always be constantly assessing, is it impacting? Is it making that difference? Is it working? And if it isn't, uh, be brave enough to challenge that system, that curriculum, that, that particular process and try to improve it, refine it. So, yeah, um, I've learned so much from working with young people. And again, um, what I learned, what I've showed them, do not rest on the mistakes of your past. Try to build. Every day is, a, is, is an opportunity for change and embrace that. Try to be the best that you can be. 
I often used to fast forward them. I said, you know, in 30 years time, or if you were on your deathbed, how would you like to be remembered? And these were some of the, as I said, one of the, some of the most challenging than some of the most, um, you know, serious crimes and stuff. And all of them wanted to be thought of and mentioned in, in, in good standing and, and for positive things. And all of them wanted to help young people not to be like them, which was so interesting because some of them were reveling their, in, in their iniquities, but nobody wanted their younger brother or sister or anybody around to be like them. So there was always a seed of um, hope in these. And that's what I, I try to do. And the seed of everybody, I believe, is, is something good. And it's just a matter of germinating. And how do you do that? Support, confidence, education, you know, that kind of stuff. But real and sincere. They can see through fake. They can see very, very quickly and they'll just disengage. And many of them, you'd think, okay, well, they've got parents. No, a lot of them don't have guardians that have ever trusted in them or really said that they believe in them and expect them to do anything positive. So when they've got somebody in their life that they, that they respect to some degree, who's doing something that they admire to some degree, a relatable role model that's actually believing in them and going out their way to improve and provide them with the platforms that might better improve their lives, they really do gravitate to that and they never forget it. Um, we need more um, systems that really go in and, and really impact the lives of young people for the better. And I think this is such a powerful message from a teaching perspective, because, of course, you teach at ICMP as well. To realize the role that you have in, in the student's life, it's not mm. just that one hour session a week for that module. It can mm. have a huge impact if you want it to to be like that or even if you don't want to like it's something that you it's it's out of your control but if you acknowledge that you can be a such a positive influence and such a you can open their eyes and you can you can show them different ways not necessarily the way you know it's um i i find it um you know i have personally great memories of some teachers that i had and again You never know what circumstances the students may have at home with their friends, with their family. So to have someone they can look up to and, and rely on and just be inspired by is such a blessing. So I think this is, you know, to me, again, it may sound like corny, but to me, this is one of the main um, strengths of like being in higher education. Like you can definitely like show people different ways, you know, open their minds and eyes. Yes. Blending this with, uh, so your experience as a teacher and your experience as an artist and producer, so within the industry, yes. what would you say is the best piece of advice you could give to young creatives? So whether they're producers, whether they're artists, whatever the way, whichever way they want to go to, and a lot of them, of course, tend to like blend different things nowadays. What's, what's the best piece of advice you could give them? Well, first is education is the key. Um, why do I say that? It doesn't matter how talented you are. Um, I believe it's important for you to finish your education. Out of that education, I mean, I'm a late studier. I done, I done my, um, my degree a few years ago, but I know how it impacted me and how many avenues that's opened up by doing a law degree. Despite having my musical accolades and that, um, I don't think I would have acquired half of the positions now had I not done that. The younger you can do it, the better. It's great for discipline. Once you go through it, you, you understand deadlines, you understand a lot more discipline, you understand your, your, your profession a lot more, you'll find um, a lot of things it does for building character. And also, most poignantly, um, the life of a musician, a producer, a songwriter, an artist is turbulent by way of finance. As much money I've made, I've had dips, 
where it's been really hard. With a degree, you can normally fall back on some kind of profession where you can go out there and work and earn a living. Stress and music do not mix. So what tends to happen is we have periods where we might do well and we're up. There might be stagnant times when nothing's happening. During these times, it's important that we can lean on that which we've learned and generate funds ourselves, and generate pipelines or go and work or whatever it is. Once you've got your degree or once you've had some education, a decent standard, these opportunities are much more viable. So I'd always, um, I'd always urge young writers to go and learn, refine your art, because be the best you can be. So learn the science of that, which it is that you're doing, songwriting, music production, learn it all, because it's also very competitive. And the reality is under 10% of us are gonna really generate a living that's gonna sustain us properly. So it means the rest of us are really gonna to have to find something else that we can um, supplement our income with and usually that's through education and working through with somebody and finding jobs and if you haven't got that it's going to be a lot harder get that degree get that in that particular art that you need because you've got something to fall back on like me you can do some teaching and I love it it's not like a poor relation to production I love it I love it but I also it's impacted my life that I don't have to get up and work nine to five I can do two three days a week now and I'm good and um, it gives you options and flexibility in life, education. Um, so education, education, that, um, that's, that's probably one of the first. And then be true to self, do what it is, work as hard as you can, but always realize it's very competitive. Nothing's written in stone. Have a plan B, all right? So if you're not the next Jay-Z or you're not the next Rihanna, what then? Um, how will you, get through to day to day. It's okay to dream and think big and aspire for the highest, but uh, we live in a world where we um, succumb to certain demands and you're gonna have to pay your bills and this and that and that and this. And um, you need to find a way that you can do that to the best of your ability without it impacting the quality of your life. You might be like me and you don't really want to do that five, six days a week thing, unless you had to. I mean, I've done it at Feltham in different places, but that's for a protracted period of time. I think education gives you more options and opportunity to do what you want to do. I built my, my, my own organization now. And um, if it wasn't for my love of working at ICMP, I wouldn't need to. So these are all options that have been generated primarily through um, me educating myself, understanding how systems work, and then actioning my, um, my uh, aspirations, but on a platform of, of knowing. Basically, never stop learning is, is, is the way. I, I'd like to sort of like wrap it up. I'm curious now to, to know what inspires you to keep pushing the way that you push? Because of course, you, you've, you've talked a lot about giving to others and, and dedicating your life to, uh, you know, make the world a better place. Basically, you know, making sure that people have the tools to choose different, to make different choices in life and, and be the best they can be. Yes. How do you get inspired to do this on a daily basis? What keeps you going? Um, my understanding that I don't, I don't have a limited identity as far as concerns whom I, I see as my family, my family, my extended family, human family, um, any experience that I've had that I can use to impact the lives of those for the better, because I know how it can go on the other side if they take the wrong road. It is just so fulfilling for me. It's like, it's way beyond any pay that anybody could give me. It's, it's just a warm, 
it's just a beautiful feeling uh, to see one a young person go from A to Z and really stand up, find themselves, put themselves in a better position when you know that they might have gone in another. I mean, that's worth its weight in gold for me. It's never been, um, and with all the experience that I've had and the turbulence of life that I've had, I mean, I, um, I lost my eldest son, I lost my uncle, I lost my sister, I lost, I just, and I'm talking about the last 10 years. It's been crazy. It's been a purging, but it's also equipped me with a, a really wide range of understanding of troubles and the turbulence of life. I've managed to come through it. And um, there's lots of really great things that I've learned about self and um, how to get through stressful times. I just want to share, empower, motivate. And just in doing that, the, 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 the return is, is, is just this feeling of knowing that you're in that, that without religion, just that unit, you're in accordance with that which you were made to do. And you're just doing exactly that which you were created to do. I've always thought that. So I'm doing music. We're starting a label in spring. So I'm going back into the private sector. That's all great. But I'm also doing that. Um, I'm inspiring. I'm motivating. I'm helping. I'm supporting others. Helping in some way to build a better world. That's important to me too. So, I mean, when I wake up in the morning, I smile, I give thanks. And I'm just over the moon that I'm actually, I mean, when we think about it, how many people have to go into a place, into an environment where they really don't want to be in order to generate funds to pay their rent or just to live. We're talking about 60, 70% of people, maybe more. They don't want to be there. I'm blessed. I'm exactly where I want to be. I am the pioneer. I'm navigating my career. Um, I had to take a step back and sacrifice and educate and all of this, but now I've done it. And I want other people to do it before they get anywhere near my age take control of their lives and navigate and be the, the navigators of their life and don't let other people do it or circumstances or friends or any kind of outside influence. Be true to yourself. That's again, I something that I agree 100% with. It's such a powerful message. It's, it's so great to hear. I'm glad you're teaching our students. <laughs> I'm glad too. <laughs>